Welcome back to a new season of Becoming Fully Alive. The next series of episodes will feel a bit different. Caroline is on leave, so you will hear more of my voice on this season of the podcast. And I'll be working to bring on other voices, so to keep with having multiple perspectives for you to remain in conversation with God and others about how we deepen our spiritual lives. We're in the Gospel of Matthew this fall season, and Matthew's Gospel is rich. It's full of numerous opportunities to see how the life of Jesus and the movement of the Spirit draws us into the realm of possibility, the realm of love that reaches beyond human expectations and assumptions, calling us ever deeper in our relationship with the divine, with others, with the whole of creation. As always, these episodes are intended for you to be in conversation with God, with yourself, and with others. The spiritual life, while it involves solitude and deep listening, it also means cultivating community with others. We grow as followers of Jesus when we practice deep listening and speak vulnerably from the heart with others, with others who are seeking to connect themselves more deeply with God. So, if you're in Knoxville, join a small group here in Ascension. If you're not ready to engage in the life of a church or you're connecting from elsewhere, create a small group of your own. Find a way to have good conversation. You're not the only one who wants to have these conversations. And while it can feel risky, it is when we gather together for spiritual conversation, for discernment, that our life becomes more luminous for all of us. take a slightly different route on this episode and explore some insights from Dostoevsky's The Brothers Karamazov, more so than many commentaries I have read on the Gospel of Matthew. Dostoevsky offers insights into the temptations of Jesus in the wilderness that illumine the human condition and how we might reach beyond the world of certainty the world of power, wealth, and control that serves so much as an invitation for us to consider how God relates to us in ways that honor our humanity, in ways that honor our freedom and agency in a world that is continually attempting to enslave us, attempting to constrict our imaginations, so to see the kingdom of heaven as something far off and distant, rather than the way that Jesus describes as something ever-present, present within us, present between us, present as we seek to become fully alive in communion with each other. In his section on the Grand Inquisitor, 
Dostoevsky has the Inquisitor say these words to Jesus, feed men first and then ask for virtue. Feed men first and then ask for virtue. Jesus has uh, returned to earth uh, during the time of the Inquisition. He's quietly wandering through a city where the church wields all the control. And the timing of Jesus' arrival is the day after the Inquisitor has just burned a hundred heretics at the stake. As Dostoevsky writes, he came softly, unobserved, and yet, strange to say, everyone recognized him. And similar to the miracles we read in Scripture, Jesus raises a little girl from the dead. He heals those who touch him. Scales fall from a blind man's eyes. Children are throwing flowers in front of him, crying out, Hosanna! After raising a little girl from the dead, the Grand Inquisitor of Seville holds out his finger to the guards nearby, so to have Jesus arrested. After imprisoning Jesus, he goes to visit him. As Dostoevsky describes, the withered cardinal looks at Jesus with deep, sunken eyes and asks, Is it you? Is it really you? Jesus remains silent. And we kind of recall that image from Jesus standing before Pilate, ever silent. The Inquisitor begins his lengthy monologue before Jesus, explaining to the Lord how ruthless, how ruthless is the freedom of God. He unpacks before Jesus the implications of his temptations in the wilderness and how irrational, how irrational it is that Jesus would attempt to gain the devotion of humans without first satisfying their earthly hungers. Do you not realize, asked the Inquisitor, do you not realize that ages will pass and humanity will proclaim by the lips of their sages that there is no crime and therefore no sin, there is only hunger. Feed men first and then ask for virtue. But you would not deprive man of freedom, says the Inquisitor, you rejected turning stones into bread. Nothing, says the Inquisitor, nothing is more certain than bread. Instead of taking men's freedom from them, you, he says to Jesus, you made it greater than ever. You increased it and thereby increased man's suffering. The Inquisitor goes on to describe that there are Three powers alone that are able to conquer and hold captive forever the conscience of humans. And those are miracle, mystery, and authority. Jesus, says the Inquisitor, rejects all of these. Man, he says to Jesus, man seeks not so much God as the miraculous. And you refused to enslave man by a miracle. But we have corrected your work. The withered cardinal says to Jesus, 
we, meaning the church, we have taken from them this unbearable freedom. We keep before them the reward of heaven and eternity so that they do not suffer your freedom in the present. Really strong words. <laughs> what Dostoevsky masterfully portrays in his writing on the Grand Inquisitor is the shadow side of church politics when the rule of the church becomes legalistic, pharisaical, or parental in the worst sense of the word. He contrasts the politics of God's kingdom, a reign of grace, forgiveness, and freedom that moves from a place of silence. And how challenging this dynamic is for the patriarchal systems of the world, which function so often from the noisiness of expectations, the noisiness of assumptions, all the binary modes of right, wrong, good, or bad. As we read in Matthew's Gospel, right there in chapter 4, each of the three temptations are the overarching temptations each of us face on a daily basis. The temptation to turn into bread, the things that cannot sustain the life of the soul. The temptation to divide the body from the soul, it's constantly before us. We seek nourishment from things that only cause decay while our teeth crumble against the stones of wealth, judgment, and efficiency. Jesus' response to the slander in Matthew's gospel deserves a lot of attention. Jesus says the human shall not live on bread alone, but upon every utterance issuing from the mouth of God. There are notable times when we hear God speaking in Scripture. Many are moved by the Spirit. Many receive the gift of visions and dreams. And then there are times when God utters very specific proclamations and descriptions of truth and reality. Before Jesus is dragged off by the Spirit into the wilderness to, be, to pray and to be tested, God has spoken from heaven during Jesus' baptism. This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Later on, during the Mount of Transfiguration, God will speak again, saying, This is my Son, the Beloved. Listen to him. What sustains the soul, says Jesus, is the utterance of God. What is the utterance of God? The utterance of God is the declaration and revelation that Jesus is the utterance of God. Jesus is the bread who sustains the soul. If our attention is given, says Jesus, only to what satisfies the body, everything becomes quantifiable relative to my individual wants and needs. On a very base level, I find this quite challenging myself. I love spices. I love flavors of different cultures. I crave meat, fish, fried things, unfortunately. 
It's easy for me to give undue attention to food for my body. I have a friend who eats the same thing at every meal, and I admire him. I so wish I were as disciplined as he is to do this. I just, I so admire his self-control. And while this is not an essential aspect of becoming fully human, I do need ways to moderate what goes into my body because it is intimately bound up with what and how I receive the bread for my soul. The two are inseparable. There's, there's nothing separable about how I feed my body and how I feed my soul. It's impossible here not to consider the Eucharistic dimensions of Jesus' temptations. Jesus gives himself as bread, gives bread as himself. There is an inseparability for Jesus between body and soul, the bread of the body and the bread for the soul. They are one. It is for this reason that the dinner tables of our homes are to mirror the Eucharistic tables of our churches, extending the same welcome and hospitality of Jesus to all who come seeking grace, belonging, and forgiveness. In other words, one aspect among the many aspects of Jesus' response to his tempter is the realization that life is all about what we share and generate with God and others, not simply what we take and consume for ourselves. If I eat and drink to another's detriment, I am not satiating the hunger of my soul. I'm only attempting to satisfy my own individual cravings. Another aspect of this is that the tempter is inviting Jesus to take the joy out of eating, to make bread something quantifiable rather than something that brings people together from having cultivated the soil together, from the planting of wheat, from the growth that ensues, separating of the chaff, the milling, the kneading, the, the resting, the baking, and then the breaking. It's easy to see how we have succumbed to this temptation in our modern age, where very few of us bake bread in our homes. Even then, we'd be hard-pressed to find someone who actually touches the flour before it, is before it is bleached and bagged, before it finds itself on the uh, counters, on the uh, shelves of our stores. Our disconnection from the soil, our disconnection from each other in the process, is a disconnection not only in the process of eating our meals, it's, it's a disconnection from our humanity, and this, this is the temptation that Jesus resists. It's not merely about the miracle of turning a stone into bread. It's about the true miracle that is already right in front of us as we grow the wheat, mill, and mix it so that our hands, so that with our hands, it becomes a conduit 
a vessel of belonging and grace. Bread is made to bring together. And I suspect we're all at least somewhat guilty of this. We've all contributed to this disconnect. We have all succumbed to the slanderer's temptation to turn stones into bread, to seek the miraculous over ordinary goodness, to seek control and power over freedom and love. And without ever realizing it, our hearts become calloused. Each attempt to avoid uncertainty, to provide answers to irresolvable questions, or to control others or outcomes, it keeps me from the transformation of heart to which Jesus calls into being. I resist. I resist having my heart expanded when I close myself to another's freedom, when I close myself off from the recreative activity of God in the world. The temptations of Jesus reveal the many ways that the Spirit seeks to realign us with the infinite possibilities of God. It is not merely about resisting temptation. It is about opening our hearts, opening our imaginations to the risk and possibilities of unconditional love. And if we're honest, if we're honest, what we imagine to be possible in any given situation falls short of what is possible if we open ourselves to receive what God is making possible in our midst at every moment of our lives. In chapter 2 of Matthew's Gospel, we learn of King Herod's desire to control, which he exercises by having innocent children slaughtered for fear that he might lose control. Herod feared the arrival of a child king who would lead to his dethroning. What Herod did not realize is that he was never on the throne in the first place. He was never in control. Herod's anger and anxiety helps us to see, if we are willing to look deep within ourselves, that we are not in control of our lives. And that fear, if we let it, may very well lead us to destroy the innocence of others. All because we desire a power and authority that can never be ours. In a poem from his Sabbath collection from 2005, Wendell Berry reflects on this dynamic and how it strips us of our humanity, how it keeps us from becoming fully human. Wendell Berry writes, If we have become a people incapable of thought, then the brute thought of mere power and mere greed will think for us. If we have become incapable of denying ourselves anything, then all that we have will be taken from us. If we have no compassion, 
we will suffer alone. We will suffer alone the destruction of ourselves. These are merely the laws of this world, as known to Shakespeare, as known to Milton. When we cease from human thought, a low and effective cunning stirs in the most inhuman minds. The invitation of the gospel, especially as we find in Matthew chapters 1 through 4, is the invitation to receive the baptism and fire of the Holy Spirit, which cleanses us from the mess of our lives and burns away all that prevents us from entering into the heart of God, all that prevents us from having our hearts transformed by grace and forgiveness, so to experience the joy and wonder of God in all things. I want to close this episode with a blessing that we offer at the end of our Celtic services here in Ascension. The world is too dangerous and too beautiful for anything but love. May your eyes be so blessed that you see God in everyone, your ears, so that you hear the cry of the poor and the oppressed. May your hands be so blessed that everything you touch is sacrament, your lips, so that you speak only the truth with love. May your feet be so blessed that you run to those who need you. And may your heart be so opened, so set on fire, that the love of Christ living in you changes everything. We usually offer a few questions for reflection at the end of these episodes. And I want to whittle this down to one question, which I think is worth engaging pretty much every day, and that is this. Where in your life are you being tempted to turn stones into bread? In other words, where are you tempted to take what is not life-giving and pretend that it is good for your soul, good for your life with God and others? It's so easy to deceive ourselves and rationalize aspects of our lives because of the expectations of those around us, the expectations of our society, when what we're seeking may be leading us further and further away from God and each other. Where are the stones in your life? And how are you being tempted to turn these into bread? A reminder that you can join a small group here in Ascension each Sunday morning at 9.15 a.m. You can learn more at knoxvilleascension.org. This Sunday evening at 5 p.m. is our next Dinner Dialogue. Carrie DiMartini will be our guest speaker this week. And while we are refraining from disclosing the topics of discussions for these Dinner Dialogues, I assure you, you don't want to miss out on the dialogue this week. I had the pleasure of having lunch with Carrie, who recently moved to Knoxville. 
and to talk about her work in the community. I don't want to give anything away, so you'll have to come this Sunday to learn more, but you don't want to miss this engagement. It's going to be fruitful for all of us on numerous fronts. Remember to register by going to spiritusnox.com and also uh, this is especially helpful because we have a farm-to-table meal as part of these, these evening dinner dialogues lovingly prepared by our own chef, Jason Dean. It'll be a wonderful evening together. That's this Sunday, October the 1st at 5 p.m. And another reminder that John Philip Newell will be with us October the 13th through the 15th. More information about Friday evening's engagement and the Saturday retreat are available online. You can follow the links on this podcast and don't miss the Celtic service that evening, that Sunday evening at 5 p.m., nor the Sunday morning engagement where John Philip Newell will be offering an engagement, uh, offering the reflection at the Celtic service. And it's especially important that you register today for the Saturday retreat if you haven't already. Space is limited and there are only a few spots left. It's going to be a tremendous weekend. Don't miss it. It is a rare gift that we get to host. John Philip Newell here in Ascension and it's just going to be a spectacular weekend. We look forward to seeing you here soon in Ascension. Until then, God's peace and God's blessing be upon you.